Welcome to the Springs in the Desert podcast. We're so happy that you're here with us. We're those friends that you can take with you wherever you are on the path of infertility. Hello, and welcome back to the Springs in the Desert podcast. We're so glad you're here with us today. It's an honor to walk with you wherever you are on the path of infertility. I'm Jillian from the Springs in the Desert team, your host for today's episode. Joining me today are Anne, one of our founding mamas, and our spiritual father, Father Paul from Springs in the Desert. I think I can speak for all of us when I say we are so excited to bring this episode to you all about how to enter into the season of Lent during a season of infertility, uh, and especially to have our spiritual father with us here today. I've gotten to know him a little bit over the, the last couple of years, but I am super excited to get to know him more through this episode and for you to get to know him more. So Father Paul, before we begin this episode and dive into Lent, would you just tell our listeners, especially those who maybe don't know you as well, uh, just a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you're at, Sure, sure. Um, well, I'm Father Paul Varshola West is the official uh, name, but you could just, you know, Father Paul. <laughs> um, I am uh, a Byzantine Catholic priest uh, for the Eparchy of Passaic, which is sort of our equivalent of a, of a diocese. So uh, I'm a Byzantine Catholic priest, uh, and I am the pastor at um, Our Lady of Perpetual Help Byzantine uh, Catholic Church, as well as Holy Trinity Byzantine Catholic Church. So the first one's in Levittown, which is a Philly verb, and the second one is technically within the city limits of Philadelphia on the north end of the city. And um, I am married uh, to Alyssa West, who is also a uh, contributor to uh, Springs in the Desert. And yes. we have uh, one, uh, one little one in heaven, and we have uh, a nine-year-old uh, daughter, uh, Adelaide, and a... Um, uh, six-year-old boy, uh, Nicholas. Um, so our journey with, um, you know, the, the pains and struggles of infertility is, is, is uh, something we carry with us, you know, in, in our private lives and also in our um, ministry as a clergy family. So it, it's is a, uh, something that is very, very near and dear to us. And it's, it's, more I, I, to say it's a blessing to be able to uh, be involved in this ministry is is an understatement and so it's something that that helps us along um so it's uh we're we're with you every step of the way hmm. and i i can personally attest to this i think maybe Anne could say the same but i have received so much from your spiritual fatherhood already i can tell that you walk with us and it's been so beautiful to have a spiritual father in in a tough, a tough season of life sometimes. Um, yeah. And I, I just wanted to say too, that by no means does a priest, um, have to be married in order to be able to walk with, you know, anybody, um, especially with married couples through any kind of, um, trial or difficulty that they might be having, uh, in their marriage. But the fact that you are a married priest and that you and Alyssa have your own infertility experience just enriches this ministry so much. And you just, both of you really bring um, not only insights, but uh, a real sort of compassion and understanding that we appreciate so much. So uh, so that's the Father Paul rah-rah portion <laughs> of the episode. But anyway, we're, we're just grateful for both of you, Father. 
Thank you. Yes, that is that is such a such a great point that priests, no matter where they are, can journey with us and are journeying with us. Uh, and I that that having a, a married priest is something that I didn't grow up with being Roman Catholic. And there are many differences that I'm learning, uh, but also many similarities between uh, Byzantine Catholics and Roman Catholics in the Lenten season. And so um, I'm excited to talk a little bit more about that today, especially having a spiritual mother and a spiritual father. Uh, I hope this conversation is really just a me, but also our listeners coming to you as a daughter and a son to a mother and a father, just looking for a little bit of help in the Lenten season. How do we enter into it? What is it all about? Uh, so Father Paul, maybe would you just kind of kick off this conversation and tell us, you know, what is Lent all about? Why, why do we have Lent? What's, what about it is so good for us? Oh, yeah. Well, um, it, everything about it is good uh, for us but you know it's lent as a concept is something that we need to hold near and dear as um you know not only as you know catholic christians or universal christians but all christians regardless of how we observe a penitential season like this we have to realize that what this is for is you know how perhaps we've all heard you know uh, growing up, I'm doing this for your own good, right? <laughs> kind of this is sort of God in his fatherly voice saying, I'm doing this for your own good. Trust me, you'll understand when you are spiritually older um, is, is a good way. So you touched on the whole uh, Byzantine, Roman Catholic um, uh, differences and similarities. And so I think I'll start there. What we have to, I say, realize is is ultimately the differences shouldn't be like one or the other it should be together right it's it's just mm. different ways of expressing the same end game right so for instance um the way the byzantine um calendar liturgical calendar looks is this is that lent starts um for this year we'll just use this year is february 20th is a monday so we start lent on that monday and believe it or not it only goes 40 days to March 31st, which is the Friday before Holy Week. So our Lenten season is 40 days ending before Holy Week, but the Roman Catholic calendar starts February 22nd and counts the 40 days to this year would be April 6th, Holy Thursday. And then your Lenten season ends there entering into the, you know, the technical name, the Triduum, the three days of, of Easter Sunday. Um, so right there, people say, well, what's the difference? Well, nothing. It's just the way we count it, right? They're just different calendars. And, and, and that should be the end of the discussion, I think, because the more <laughs> important thing is, what are, we, what are we doing with those days, right? What are we doing with these 40 days other than saying, okay, one way of counting it is older than another. Um, that's that. So what we have to realize is where this, this, all, um, where this all comes from. So if you look on the... Um, the USCCB site and 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 typical um, more uh, Roman sources, you know, they say we get this idea of the forty days of the fast from uh, Matthew four, the first few verses there, where you know, um, you know, Christ enters the desert for for forty days after his baptism, and he says he fasts for forty days and forty nights, and afterward he was hungry. Well, it's an understatement. I'd be hungry too, I'm sure, if I didn't <laughs> eat 
anything for, for 40 days, right? <laughs> yeah. But so that's where we'll say it. we get it from, from, from Matthew, um, uh, from the gospel of Matthew and this idea of 40 days. Well, that's not the only place in scripture where the number 40 shows up, right? It shows up all over the place and it's a, it's a significant number. And if we look at what Lent or the fast, um, I'll use those two terms interchangeably because the Roman Catholics refer to it more as Lent and we call it, uh, Byzantine Catholics call it the great fast. But if I'm saying the fast, I mean both, just this period of preparation for uh, the celebration of Easter and uh, the resurrection. So when we're looking at the fast, we have to ask, like, why though? Is it okay? So we're just commemorating 40 days of Christ in the desert. And um, the short answer is no. What we have to realize is when we enter into this desert that is um, the great fast, the fast, what we're actually doing is going back to the very, very beginning of our relationship with God as Father. So this goes all the way back. And if we look at um, Genesis 2 and 3, this is where we actually find why we do all we do. So what are the biggest parts of, um, of Lent, right, of the fast? It's uh, don't eat meat right, on certain days <laughs> and um, go to extra church services, right? So those are the two <laughs> things we latch on to um, in our uh, 21st century world, right? Don't eat meat and go to church, <laughs> which is something we should be doing all year long. But that's, that's a conversation for another time. <laughs> so if, if we, so, so why do we abstain from certain foods during this period? Well, if we look at uh, Genesis, um, Genesis 2, 15 to 17, we have the first covenant that God makes with man. Um, so he, uh, we have here Genesis 2, 15. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded man saying, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in that day that you eat of it, you shall die. So what this first covenant is, is basically God intends people to be vegans. There's, he doesn't mention anything about you can eat these animals, you can use their milk, you can do all these things. He just says, I've given you all of these plants and you can eat them. So that is where this idea, this very, very ancient idea comes from. That's why we abstain from these things is to bring us back into communion with that first covenant. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is that we read in Genesis uh, 3, verse 22, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. And then we continue reading that God, you know, exiles, Adam and Eve from the garden puts the flaming sword and the, the cherubim to guard uh, the entrance. And so that expulsion from paradise, that's what we're actually commemorating here when we have these 40 days. And this is more, I want to say, outwardly visible in the Byzantine tradition. Um, and now this is not to, um, you know, I'm not disparaging anything here. It's just an easy example is that the day before Lent starts, we have um, that last Sunday, which Anne and I were talking earlier with you, that it's, we call it Forgiveness Sunday, but it's actually the commemoration of 
the expulsion of Adam and Eve from the garden. And for us, what happens is we have that final divine liturgy, the royal doors are closed, and that symbolizes, okay, those gates of paradise have been closed off to us, and that's that. And here we are now headed into what we call, you know, clean week or pure week, um, because that week, traditionally, we would have a week of strict fast, no meat, no dairy, anything like that. So here we are, just like Adam and Eve, simple food, closed off from everything. What do we do? Right? And then this is the spirit in which we should enter the fast. Um, regardless of tradition, we should enter this as a time of, okay, here I am. I've got sort of 40 days to get my act together. What am I going to do? Right? And so that's where um, I think that's where we kind of want to take this conversation, right? Is, is especially this year, Lent is pretty early. It's not as early as it can be, but it's pretty early. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah you know, right. Father, something you said briefly, but just that the these two rites, the Roman rite, Byzantine rite, are just two expressions, you know, of the same thing. And I think that that, as you said that, I thought that's what we're trying to talk about as springs in the desert, that there are different expressions of motherhood and fatherhood. And mm -hmm. I think, I think that would be a great place to take this conversation. You know, yeah. What do we do in Lent? There's typically fasting, prayer and almsgiving that people will take up. And I'm curious if either of you have some suggestions about how those practices might bring some new life into our, our community's lives, that they might be able to express their father and motherhood uh, through these practices that they take up. Can I, I just want to mention one thing, because I, I, I love that explanation, Father, and what I like most about it is that you situated it within uh, the context of relationship, because when we, when you, you first started talking about Lent and, you know, you said that sort of don't eat meat and go to church more it, and that, that kind of puts it in this uh, context of obligation, which of course we have some obligation, right? Like we have, we have a duty in justice to our creator to, you know, to, to worship and, and to, to live the way that he created us to live and to be, but if we get too stuck in that sense of obligation, then it can become hard. It can become arduous. And we forget that all of this is oriented toward a closer relationship with God. And, and I think that we can, as we you know, finish with our discussion, we can see that that is very much the same with our walk in, in infertility as well. We can get detached from kind of relationship and get mm -hmm. fixated on, I must do this or I must not do that. Well, ab absolutely. And I'm glad you, you brought this up now because this is something I actually had um, in my notes for later, but we can tie this in now. This is perfect where, right, you have this relational aspect, right? This aspect of relationship. And yes, it's so, um, I, I want to say, I'll just come out and say it. It's unfortunate that we do have in our modern society, in both the Byzantine and Roman traditions, we have a certain sense of, of legalism, right? Where it's like, okay, so no meat on Fridays. I have to go to stations. Or in our case, it's, well, I have to go to pre-sanctified and no meat Wednesday, Fridays and these different things. And so what we have to realize is two things. One we can't kid ourselves that, yes, there are just certain things the church 
asks of us, right? In her wisdom, as uh, as you know, Mother Church saying like, look, no, you're really not supposed to eat meat on these days. That's the minimum. You're really not supposed to do this. Okay, and I think the church has taken more than a pastoral approach to meeting the people where they are uh, over the past century or so. Um, so yes, we have to say that, but then we have to ask ourselves, why are we, why are we doing this, right? Are we just ticking the box or are we doing this to bring our relationship with Christ closer to us? But also what about our interpersonal relationships with our spouse or our, our friends, our community, our, our extended family, whoever, right? Because then if we're just looking at this, like, okay, so now on top of everything else I have to do, I have to make myself hungry and I have to go do like four more things and I have to give some more of my money that I'm, I already need. I have to give it to other people and I have to do this. Right. And then when we put the infertility piece, it's, well, I hate calendars because, you know, I'm charting oh, wow. or I'm worrying about temping or, you know, planned intimacy, uh, planned intercourse, mm. you know, all of these things. Now I have yeah. one more calendar I have to worry about in my life. So now Lent went from this, you know, what could be a uh, paradoxically beautiful desert, intimate thing with God just became one more obligation to do. And that's mm. what we, especially we who are already burdened with so much, this is what we want to get away from. Right. And so I think this is where now we can take that conversation to the, you know, those, the three pillars of Christianity, uh, prayer, fasting, almsgiving, and make it really practical, make it beneficial, make it, um, something where we can attain. We want to set ourselves up for success, right? In 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 anything we do. So so I think that you know this is where we want to take the conversation. I'm yeah. I'm willing to go there. <laughs> wow, I, I just had not made that association until you said it with the calendar and mm-hmm. and how when you're charting, you know you you seem so kind of tied or in some ways imprisoned by the calendar. So I, I'd never made that association before. So I appreciate you bringing that out. Yeah. You know, that, that, that also, that really, I think that's spoken to a wound that I didn't even know I was maybe operating out of because there, yeah, there have definitely been months where I've been on certain diets trying to figure out what's causing something. And so I'm already fasting from food that I would really like to have. And then on top of that, I have to fast from what feels like the only thing I can eat. And so what, you know, what am I supposed to, what am I supposed to eat? Or yeah, taking temperatures or taking medications that feel like they have to be, you know, at a certain time every day. And uh, it can take the joy away from kind of what that structure can give, you know, to, to your life. So I, yeah, I really, (laughs) I really appreciate that. Um, but because of that, I'm also really interested in suggestions about how to kind of reclaim that. What what could that look like? Oh, ab- absolutely. And um, as as a uh, as a priest and as a pastor, as a as a husband and as a uh, father and a spiritual father, um, dare I be so bold to say, is the first thing I would recommend is, and it's just, this is going to be controversial. Forget about the calendar. Throw it away. Don't worry about the dates and the numbers. That's that's the first thing uh, we have to do is we have to realize, you know, is is does our fasting please God because we follow, you know, squares on a piece of paper with mm-hmm. numbers or does it please God 
with the spirit in which we approach it, right? So, so for us who are burdened by all these other things, like you say, you know, oh, I'm, um, I'm already, um, you know, fasting because I'm doing this, um, you know, this elimination diet, or I'm taking this medication that makes me utterly nauseous, and I just, I have to eat, um, you know, and all these things. It's, well, we sort of, because we are already vulnerable, perhaps we become afraid to talk to our priest, you know, talk to our pastor, talk to mm-hmm. a spiritual father or mother, where these are all things that the church recognizes as legitimate reasons to amend the fast in some way. Mm-hmm. So if, um, you know, like St. Paul says, you know, if, if eating meat will become a stumbling block for my neighbor, I'll never eat meat again, right? So what that really means is, well, what am I doing for myself and how will that affect people around me? But how is what people are doing around me affecting me? And so there's this ancient monastic concept of keep your eyes on your own plate, right? So that's also what we have to do. So it's a twofold thing. It's Hmm. what is going to work for you for your own personal journey? Because the reality is, yes, we go through Lent as a community of faithful, but each journey looks different like anything else in life. But two, it doesn't matter what the person next to me is doing or not doing, right? What matters is what I'm doing for myself and my family and my, my, my relationships. So um, we can't get around talking about this idea of fasting without the idea of, of prayer. They go, they're like this symbiotic thing. The Old Testament prophets, they'll teach us that um, fasting without prayer is, is as actually they would use the term an offense to almighty God, right? So if we're not... Um, praying while we're fasting then are we really even fasting like what are we what are we doing right um so um yeah when when we're working on this idea of fasting we have to ask ourselves how is this getting me closer to god and closer to my my you know interpersonal relationships so if we're so hungry that we're shaking and we're just no good to anybody and we're grumpy and it's causing us to, you know, be snippy with, with our spouses or whoever, you know, uh, uh, it's not, it's not doing any good. We want it to do good. So what we have to do when, especially when we have all the, the, um, the other things we're dealing with is come up with a program, um, that is simple, that's consistent, but yet it kind of pulls us out of our comfort zone in some in some way. So now, like, let's say you're just having a really, really tough go of it medically, right? You know, um, you have all of these things, you know, you're taking a medication that makes you feel um, gross. And like we said, you know, perhaps uh, you're doing an elimination diet. So you're already amending things and, and, and just certain things aren't working out. Well, don't, we don't have to suffer alone, you know, talk to your priest and say, Hey, this is what I'm going through. This is where I'm struggling with this. I need your help to succeed because we can always amend the quote unquote fasting regimen from food. And you could do what we would consider an alternate penance of perhaps, you know, maybe the priest might give you um, something says, okay, well, how about this? Instead of abstaining from meat on these days or doing this, why don't you pray two extra decades of the rosary for this purpose or this, you know, this intention or, or something like that. I'm just yeah. making, kind of making up that example, but we could have this idea of an alternate penance. And this is something that is, uh, you know, totally legitimate in church teaching and is, is totally 
accessible to all of us. But when we cut our our own relationship off with the fast and with Lent at, okay, no meat on Fridays and go to stations. We miss out on all that other stuff that, that deepens us. You know, perhaps even, you know, uh, a, a, an alternate penance, quote unquote, would be, you know, maybe read a chapter of, of the Gospel of John each day or something, you know, where you're, you're journeying through these different things. And that's the whole, uh, that, that's what it is. It has to be a journey. You know, it, it has to be something where we're growing because, I mean, if we go back to, you know, Matthew 4, Christ in the, uh, Christ in the desert, I'm sure he just wasn't wandering around aimlessly looking for like a McDonald's, you know, he was, he was <laughs> thinking, he was contemplating, um, you know, I mean, literally Lord knows what kind of conversations he was having with the father, you know, in, in, in his spirit and, and who knows, we, we don't know what he's experiencing, but by taking on this idea of, of the fast seriously, we can have our own experiences that are just as equally beautiful as long as we embrace the struggle. Um, you know, and the last thing I'll say in this regard is the struggle doesn't have to be painful. You know, we, we have so much pain in our lives all the time, regardless of what our situation is, and then add the infertility piece on top of it and the loss piece on top of it. So it's like, oh, we just want to be even more miserable i'm making myself even more stretched thin it's like well no then if, if that's how we feel about it we need to realize that we should be doing prayer and fasting and almsgiving with the spirit of joy so how do we take those things and bring joy to our lives um, mm -hmm. when we are in such a yeah. tough place right father i think that last part is so important um because i'm a person who tends to go like overboard like if a little bit is good a whole lot must be even better and i saw this in my own walk with infertility too and so i could see the possibility of wanting to go extreme like let me give up even more let me do more penance let me as as a sort of bargaining chip with god you know as a way to kind of negotiate with him lord you know this is this is what I really want. I'm on this infertility path. This is, you know, maybe if I do more, if I go to this extreme, uh, you'll hear me. Um, how can we maybe kind of get out of that mindset? Cause it seems like it's, you know, it's that sort of opposite end of, um, what you were talking about. Yeah. It's, it's, we so often want to do these, you know, um, these tangible things, right? And this is just a product of our, uh, uh, my parishioners often roll their eyes when I say this, but we have to realize we live in a 21st century post-enlightenment Western world. And our faith is uh, early, you know, Near East uh, faith. The, the tenets of our faith are not necessarily compatible with, you know, a post-enlightenment world intellectually, but spiritually, we, we can do it. But this is part of, of, of that struggle where we have to like basically open our heart and let it feel ancient, right? This is Christianity is an ancient faith and we tend to lose sight of that. Um, and we have to open our heart and have that, that simplicity and realize that a lot of the fasting rules that seem uh, arduous now really come from a place of simplicity right? It's like we're simplifying our lives. We're simplifying our diet. And then 
the hard thing we, we, we get into, and I try not to get too much on a soapbox about this, is we have so many options available to us these days that we feel like we have to make uh, the effort to do so. It's like, okay, well, I'm not going to drink milk. I'm going to stay away from dairy, but I'll just use almond milk. But well, then that has its own, you know, other implications I don't want to get into. But, you know, or I'm, you know, okay, I won't have uh, meat, but I'm going to spend all this extra money on these protein shakes because technically it's not meat and all these. It's like, well, okay, let's, let's, you know, take a step back here and realize it's, well, I'm just not, I'm not supposed to be replacing these things, right? I'm supposed to be replacing them with prayer, not with like the food. So, so if it's, it's not of a, what we're doing it's a how we're doing it right the letter of the law versus the spirit right. of of the law and a big one for me a big bone of contention i'll just bring this up and throw it out there because i like to be controversial is this whole <laughs> oh uh you know in the byzantine tradition well we can't eat meat we can't eat fish we can't eat anything with a backbone but oh we can eat all the crab legs and the scallops we want right bring on the lobster it's like that's why well, I'm Byzantine Catholic, to be honest. That's a big selling point. So, and, and so a, a priest said to me one time, and and I'll, uh, uh, you know, I'll say he goes, you know, you have to realize that this idea that back then, you know, shellfish weren't a delicacy; they were considered uh, poor man's food. You know, they were insects, right? They were they were disgusting, and and you know, you ate it because that was what you had. But then now it's like, well, really, eat Oscar Mayer bologna for forty days. And then see how you feel afterward. That's a fast, you know. <laughs> um, you're supposed to be simplifying the diet. And then someone like me, I'm allergic to peanuts, tree nuts, and shellfish. And I'm Byzantine Catholic and I'm a priest. That's a disaster. So even I have to amend my own fasting rule based on my own physical limitations because I, I don't want to, you know, eat some walnuts and then go to the hospital. <laughs> like I'm no good to anybody if, if, if I'm dying from anaphylaxis. Like, so... <laughs> Yeah, we have to realize that that we we have to be kind to ourselves. Like that whole the great fast should be like that whole idea of being on an airplane. Like you put your oxygen mask on first and then help somebody else. Like you gotta right. care for yourself. And that's what this is really all about. And so if we make it simple, make it attainable. And then even with the idea of almsgiving, right? When we're going through perhaps different um medical tests, medications, treatments, our our money's tight. This stuff is not is not cheap. And what we have to realize is this also plays into our spirituality. So rather than thinking, okay, I have to give X amount off the top and well, I'm struggling to already pay the bills and well, all of these things. And well, what, what if we do get pregnant? You know, I want to, I want to be able to have some money for the child and all these things. And, and, you know, I hope God answers our prayers and well, what do we do? And if I don't give this money, you know, will he answer my prayers? Cause I'm not being generous enough. Right. We always fall into that kind of thinking as well. Well, Let's take a step back. Instead of thinking, oh, I have to give all of this money extra because I have to give alms. Well, what do I do with my money? And often it's as simple as, all right, well, maybe we'll just go out to eat one less time a week during the fast, or maybe not at all. Like something we do in in my family, just because this is what we started doing. I, I you know, there wasn't a day where we decided this, but we try to not eat out at all during during the fast, you know, and then you take that money that you are saving and, and, you know, put it aside for, for something else that you need personally, that's a good thing, or, you know, uh, give it to the church or to a, you know, an organization that you find uh, reputable or anything like that. But the most important thing is not stretching yourself too thin, but simply sacrificing 
and then taking that sacrifice and applying it, you know, properly. Um, so that's something that I like to recommend with people that, cause then that takes care of the fasting, right? You're, you're simplifying your diet. Then you take that money and you do something else with it other than, you know, put it towards your stomach. And then when you give, do so with the spirit, spirit of joy and with prayer. So there you go. You're doing all three things. Super simple. It's as simple as not ordering pizza one, one night. Like I use the example and, uh, like, let's say, you know, okay, so you don't order out pizza one night. That's let's say 40 bucks and two pies, a soda and a delivery fee and tip and all that. Right. It's like 40 bucks. If you know, you do that once a week, you know, um, that adds up, right? It, it adds up and you, you take that and you could use that money for something else. Now imagine if even if you have a parish and everyone does that just once a month, you know, you're looking at thousands and thousands of dollars. That's really not that much, you know, skin off your nose, um, but it adds up. And that's where we take that individual experience and make it the communal experience and make it the group experience. And that's what we have to hope that prayer, fasting and almsgiving does each person does what's within their own means, but then it adds up to this glorious thing, you know, and that's, I think the whole, the whole point. And then we find this will, um, you know, if we, I don't want to say if we do it right, but if we do it sincerely, this will help our relationship with, with Christ and with church and with family. And, um, you know, maybe the world will be just that brighter of a, of a, of a place <laughs> when, when we do these things. Amen. Oh, this has been such a great conversation. There's so much that I'm going to take to prayer and re-listen to this episode, uh, maybe even for the next several years for Lent to just remind myself about how there's so much connectedness that I don't have to separate these sacrifices and I can uh, do them with joy. Um to get the most fruit out of uh, Lent. Uh, So dear listeners, it has been so good to walk with you today. If you would like to chat with either Anne or Father Paul, uh, you can reach them at Anne at springsinthedesert.org or fr.paul at springsinthedesert.org. They would love to walk with you in whatever way you're needing this Lent. We can't wait to see you at the next episode. God bless. Thank you so much for joining us for this Springs in the Desert podcast episode. If you have a minute, please rate and review us so that we can reach more listeners. Check out our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram and go to our website, springsinthedesert.org, where you can sign up for our newsletter and hear about more things that we have going on. Most importantly, remember that God loves you so much and so do we.